Hello, and welcome to Shattered Lives, an informed, conversational, cutting-edge radio show in touch with today's issues that impact the lives of crime victims, addressing the aftermath of crime, forging a path for hope, building awareness, and empowering listeners for the future. This is Donna Argor, a.k.a. Lady Justice, your host, with my co-host Delilah Jones, president of ImaginePublicity.com, welcoming you to today's show and to our library and weekly archive shows. It is our goal to make a difference. And yes, indeed, uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Shattered Lives again, and it is our our goal to make a difference. And uh, today is no different. We are welcoming um, a new guest uh, from across the country in in California. And I guess today we, we could say that we're on the topic of social justice, um, and that is just as important as criminal justice because it, it, if we don't correct the errors in social just, justice, it can lead to violent crime. So um, we'll tell you more about it in detail when we welcome uh, Laura Chalmers in uh, just a minute, but I want to welcome Delilah. Good morning uh, from Myrtle Beach, and uh, how's everything with you? Good morning. Everything is just great. It's summertime in this big city of Myrtle Beach, so we're carrying carrying on that tradition, welcoming tourists every day. Yeah, well, that's a good thing. I am just I am just very very pleased with the the subject matter of the uh, show today because you know I I have a an 11 year old grandson getting ready to go into middle school this year. And, you know, I remember middle school problems with my own daughter. And so it's kind of an apprehensive time, but I, um, I'm just so anxious to, to get all this good information and potentially get it to the school people, you know, the people at the school that he'll be attending. Well, that's, I think that's an excellent idea, and I think it's my understanding that they have curriculum that you can download. But let's hear, let's hear from Laura herself. Good, good morning, Laura, from good all the morning. way from California, and welcome to Shattered Lives Radio. Good morning, Donna. Good morning, Delilah. Thank you so much for having us on and for including us in the amazing array of guests and other topics. And I do agree with you. I think we fit squarely in this conversation, so I'm looking forward to it. Well, um, so are we, as as Delilah said, and I think, you know, if we don't deal with these issues, uh, we can see how social justice issues can escalate to criminal justice in in the blink of an eye, virtually. And um, we also, um, part of of this conversation is going to be about talking about um, persons with disabilities, because I am one of those as well, and I understand that you do have a daughter. I had a daughter um, that that was disabled, and it can be a very cruel world. I remember being socially isolated because of it, and I think she is the legacy of your organization. So, so let's let's talk about that. Can you give us a a little bit of a background about yourself and maybe how your organization was structured? Absolutely. Thank you again. Um, sure. My my organization, Beyond Differences, is founded um, in the memory of and an inspiration by my daughter, Lily Smith. Uh, Lily passed away now it's uh, six years. She was 15 and a half. Uh, she passed away in her sleep, um, and she was a freshman in a boarding high school. And I'll fill in a little bit about um, why she chose to go to a boarding high school, if you will. But it, this was not known to us that this could be a possibility. In fact, we sent her off seven weeks earlier to begin her high school years um, as a strong and healthy young woman. But she was born with a cranial facial syndrome, and it was called APERT. And there are very few but enough children born every year in the United States. APERT syndrome is not a disease. It is a syndrome. It is one of three that are categorized in the cranial facial family. Pfeiffer syndrome and uh, Cruzon is the other are the other two, and there's a huge bestseller novel called uh, Wonder, which is out now, and children and adults are reading it all over the United States. And in fact, the main character has one of the other two cranial facial syndrome. So Lily was born 
at a time where, thankfully, we have terrific medical understanding, but there is nothing that you can do except to correct the bony defects in a child's face as they grow older and their bones and their jaws and their facial features settle in. And that was what Lily's first number of years was like. She faced many surgeries, big invasive surgeries. She championed through all of them. She was adorable. She was smart. She was happy. Every day she woke up kind of bubbly. And it was remarkable to us, my husband, myself, and her older brother, my son Abram, who looked at Lily and realized all the challenges that she was facing, and yet the way she persevered every day, you would never know. Um, Finally, when she was in middle school, however, uh, the social consequences of looking different caught up with Lily. And as Delilah just said, there's anxiety in any family about children leaving the precious environment of an elementary school and going to middle school and in our family. Um, Of course, there was a little bit of that, uh, but I watched carefully and I also understood that Lily came from a very strong, loving family and we were going to do everything we can to make sure that she, you know, just felt like a regular, typical teenager no matter what. What is it about crossing over that? I mean, it depends upon the the, the different states as to how, or or regional places how they um, meet out different grades. Some people go from sixth grade and then they become junior high, and junior high is that synonymous with middle school and and then high school. What is it about that that divide that suddenly the the social stakes are so much higher? Well, it absolutely is true, and part of it has to do with the community and the population and the number of kids in the school district. Uh, Where we live, there are an awful number of schools that are K-4, and then the fifth graders move over to the middle school. Developmentally, there's a huge difference between fifth grade and eighth grade, and yet the children in that environment tend to be mixed together. Um, But in general, whether or not you go K-8 through or 6 through 8, or four through eight, um, social social isolation and social um, uh, social accountability is heightened in adolescence. We all know that we look to our peers for acceptance more than we look to the adults in our in our family in our community and the influence that we have on each other to be fitting in, to be socially acceptable, to be the same, and to even put others down in order to make ourselves feel a little bit better is rampant at that age. It is developmentally typical, but we believe that there's also a leadership opportunity, and that is really the story of Beyond Differences. So I'm not willing, and neither is my husband, who co-founded the organization with me, to just accept the fact that middle school has to be an awful experience that we all just endure. It absolutely does not have to be that way, and we're proving it every day with Beyond Differences. Well, well, when you, um, I guess, uh, after, after your daughter passed them, were you doing research with regard to how how you could make a difference in the impact um, of social isolate, isolation? Because my understanding is you're the only organization that has this singular focus. Is that right? Well, I believe we are, and I know we were six years ago when we began, but I would love to, I, I think I should start a nonprofit. Uh, it wasn't the case at all. I, I'm, I was and still continue to be devastated about losing Lily, and yet it was at her memorial service that a group of her former classmates from middle school approached me and said that they hadn't realized that inadvertently and without teasing, bullying, or being mean, that they now look back on their own middle school experience with Lily and they realize how she could have felt socially isolated and what could they do in her honor. And I thought about it for a number of months and uh, through a series of other opportunities, we ended up creating a short video about Lily's life and about needing to start a conversation in the United States around social isolation. That was all just a small video but I thought the video came out well. I went back to those children, and I said, I have a feeling I know what we can do now. Why don't we take you and the video and me and try this out on a middle school assembly and see if we can get permission to go do that. The first one was so successful. There wasn't a child in the audience who didn't want to raise their hand and talk and share stories about themselves or others in their classes who they know felt the same way that Lily did in the film that we just shown them. And that was the beginning 
of Beyond Differences, which I want to say is absolutely to its core a student leadership organization because we firmly believe that putting the world in these kids' hands is a very good thing to do, and adults can stand up in front of children all they want, tell them how to behave and what to do. At this age, we should really begin to recognize that peers are influencing each other, and that's the power, uh, positive power, putting the hands in the in the uh, putting the power in the lives of the children. Peer to peer, then. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Laura, for the benefit of our listeners, can you give us a definition of social isolation? Maybe some of the components um, that you recognize in in children of this age and and within this, um, you know, peer group. Sure. I, I mean, I think that when you Google uh, social isolation, when, and at least when we got started, you were directed to a number of research articles, uh, mostly about senior citizens who were experiencing shortened life expectancies because of loneliness, and loneliness was leading to adverse medical outcomes. And that is why we see uh, proponents of, you know, food delivery services and pet uh, visiting services and others at the time that Lily passed and someone said to me, and it was in fact one of her homeschool teachers, you know, it was very clear to me that Lily felt socially isolated from her peers. I, I'd never heard that, that before. And I began to think it does resonate for me. So I began to do some research and know there was nothing about this as a consequence of adolescence. Uh, at the same time, I met a young pediatrician who practices uh, medicine at the University of California, San Francisco. His name is Dr. Matt Pantel. He's absolutely fantastic. And Matt had been the first doctor to actually publish a medical study in 2007 on the consequences or tracking of uh, loneliness and social isolation in adolescents. And social isolation can be defined as something that is much more insidious and hidden than something as overt as teasing, bullying, and uh, community violence or self-harm. And there really is no other way to describe it other than it looks different than what we imagine. When we think about social isolation, we think, aha, I know it's that young child who does have physical disabilities that's always sitting over there in the corner by themselves. They may have learning differences and be on the spectrum. That's not necessarily the only definition of a child who's socially isolated. It runs across the board. But teachers and adults and parents and other peers need to be trained now on what to look for and how to create a culture of inclusion so that we don't have to single out the child that feels socially isolated but instead create an atmosphere of inclusion and everybody feeling welcome when they come to school every day. What what other kinds of um, of uh, parameters uh, beyond you know not being invited to lunch and not being in the coolest peer group and in school would there be I mean we sort of know the obvious ones that that we talked about but can you give us some other examples? Sure, sure. There are children as simple as moving into a, a school midway through the year. There are children who come from different family backgrounds, same-sex parents. There are children who are English as second language learners. They're experiencing a high degree of social isolation. There are children from disparate economic backgrounds. Uh, many of our schools, even in Marin County, um, have high-propensity children that are on federally subsidized and reduced lunch programs. There are children who have learning differences and get pulled out of mainstream classes in order to be boosted by academic um, tutoring. There are children who literally feel that they show up every day at school and no one notices them. That is painful. To feel that you are just not even seen is very painful, and that is how Lily felt. I would love to tell you that it was just because of her physical differences uh, but but that was just the beginning of it. The second part is we create instant judgments about people, and then we decide there's no much there's not much there's not much use in getting to know somebody in in case you might have something in common with them, or you end up finding out that they're pretty cool. So we make quick judgments about people, 
Uh, I've heard more stories recently about children who bring uh, lunch from home, and because of um, different cuisines, different spices, different smells, uh, children make fun of each other at school as young as in second and third grade about their funny-smelling lunch, and that makes somebody feel uh, less included. Uh, you, you know, you can use your imagination and go on and on and on, and that is what is playing out every single day at school. So it's insidious, it's painful, and there are little tiny baby steps that hurt along the way. Wow. How, how did it play out? You know, you said your daughter was, was a very happy person outwardly, but in talking with her peers, how did how did it play out for her in terms of the social isolation? In terms of you you learn this after the fact. Yeah, that's true, Donna, and it's really remarkable, and it's really about Lily and who she was. And I wish everybody who now knows about Beyond Differences could have known Lily. Um, Lily went to her middle school in our community in fifth grade, and in fifth grade it was pretty okay, and didn't notice a lot of signs of her starting to feel left out. But in sixth grade, I began to realize that uh, the school counselors were pulling her out of this class and that class and thinking she needed extra tutoring. I realized that she wasn't getting invited to the typical number of birthday parties or after-school get-togethers. And in sixth grade, we had her evaluated a couple of times. And really, at home, And in our personal lives, Lily was just amazing. And at school, she was starting to really wither. Uh, By the end of sixth grade, she was starting to ask her dad and I um, if she really couldn't be educated some other way. And we looked at her and said, no, I don't think so. We're going to go back to school uh, uh, after a while. I I think by the end of sixth grade and the beginning of seventh grade, um, my husband and I decided that Lily was smarter than we were and she knew better what she needed to thrive than we really noticed. And so um, she lobbied hard enough at home and we ended up making the difficult family decision to pull her out of our public school and have her homeschooled by professional tutors. And that's how she finished um, seventh and eighth grade, was completely homeschooled in a very rigorous academic um, environment. And it is a result of that that she decided that she was going to uh, try a new community and go off to a, a boarding school, a college preparatory boarding school for high school, meet new friends. But before I leave middle school, one of the smartest things that her homeschool teacher insisted is that Lily also participate in some extracurricular activities that put her in touch with children her own age. She was so relieved not to have to go to school every day and face the same children who were leaving her out every day that I think she would have been happier just being around adults. We hear that a lot from parents whose children are socially isolated. They prefer the company of adults. Adults get it. They understand. Some of them really just get a kick out of these kids, and they just love to be with them, and the kids feel accepted and wish that more people their age would would treat them that way. But in Lily's case, She joined the Marin County Youth Commission. She sang in a choir. Um, We have a good family uh, community, and so we have lots of friends. And she was always exposed to children that grew up with her, so she got a lot of her peer influence that way. And Delilah, I also want to mention that Lily and I came to Myrtle Beach a number of years ago. There's a professional association for families of kids with cranial facial anomalies called the California Children's Cranial Facial Association, and they had their annual convention uh, in Myrtle Beach. And we went together because Lily wanted to meet other adolescents her age, and we had a wonderful, wonderful time for those three days. Um, But we tried to get Lily. Yeah, it was great. I have to tell you, we had a wonderful time. Uh, So we tried to expose Lily as much as possible outside of school hours to children her own age. Um, But that, that was really what we had to face What I tell families now, there's no reason why anybody needs to pull their children out of school. We need to make school more inclusive, and not just for kids with special needs, but for all children. And that's our goal with Beyond Differences, is to change the culture of middle school and inspire youth to be the leaders of that movement. Wow, that's a a tall order, but I think with with the structure that you have in the three different programs, which we we certainly are going to get into, it it sounds you know it, it sounds doable. Just out of curiosity, when you're mentioning homeschooling, is that is the proportion of people 
families that have children with special <clears throat> needs? Is homeschooling going down? I don't know, to be honest, Donna. I really don't mm-hmm. know. Um, I, I really don't, as a matter of fact. I know there are so many alternative um, programs out there now, but I'm thinking of all the millions of children and families who have no choice but to use their local and very good public schools. And right. um, that's that's where we focus, and we also work with independent and private schools, uh, but I think mostly it's the public schools that are really inviting us to partner with them. Great. Well, it is the program itself, um, I understand it, there's a curriculum that you can download. It's a very, like, homogeneous program so that it, it will fit in a number of areas and you kind of, I don't know, cherry pick. Maybe that's a poor term, but just no, wondering. It's true. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I think one of the things that we began with was this high school group of students called our team board, and those were Lily's former classmates who went out and led assembly programs at local middle schools. And we did that for about two years until we began to notice that it were the children in the audience of the middle schools who were asking us what they could do uh, every day in their own school now that the assembly had opened their hearts and their minds to this issue. So we added a new layer of programming and we created um, clubs at middle schools all across uh, the San Francisco Bay Area and now up in Portland, Oregon as well, where we provide curriculum and activities for one teacher who might want to be the chosen faculty member at a school, self-selected, of course. And they work with our curriculum and create these clubs of student leaders so that when it's time to do school-wide activities that demonstrate inclusion and acceptance and leaning into differences, not leaning away from differences, we have a cohort of trained middle school students. So we're very much an activist organization, as many schools as we can get to, but we're also scaling nationally the awareness of this issue through three very big holidays that we created during the school year, which which I can mention in a moment. But you are right, Donna, that all of the curriculum is available free on our website for any teacher, any resource counselor, any administrator uh, to download uh, and use. And we're always coming up with new curriculum, and we're about to release something new for this coming fall as well. Wow, that, that's great. Would you? Uh, we could mention your contact information uh, a few times. You want to give everybody the, the reference, and we'll do it at the end as well? Thank you. It's beyond differences, one word. So there's two D's in the middle with an S at the end of differences.org, beyonddifferences.org. And there's a couple of sign-in portals. It doesn't cost anything. A teacher just has to sign up and they get the keys to the castle and they can download anything they want. And we really stay in touch with them during the year. We offer national conference calls so that they can meet other teachers across the United States that are working with the materials, ask questions, and our staff is made up of former classroom teachers themselves, so they're really smart at writing curriculum and teaching the curriculum and acknowledging when something, a lesson is falling flat or a lesson is really great. And so we're always making adjustments and always course correcting uh, because we want this to be current and edgy and, and impactful. Wow. Is, is it something whereby you, um, you would have to say, I'm a teacher here in the greater Hartford area in Connecticut, and I want to do this. Do I have to go to my school board or my principal to get permission to utilize this curriculum? I don't think so. Um, I think if you are a faculty member and you have the time, many academic teachers just cannot take on one more uh, piece of teaching, which we understand completely. So it typically tends to be the resource counselor or a vice principal who sees the children that are fraying at the edges, if you will, and may also be working with the leadership students in their school, the student councils and the other life skills um, classes and uh, social-emotional curriculum. Those are the teachers that typically come forward and download the material but anybody can use it. It is not controversial in any way, and I don't think it requires permission from a school board, but always a good idea to check off with your principal or vice principal. Yeah, well, Lord, cool. do you does your organization um, 
reach out to schools? I mean, do you do you reach out and send information or make them aware that this is available to either the teachers or the school as a whole? Yes, Delilah, we do. We think we have, you know, again, we're operating on two levels. One is a national communication level where we're scaling awareness of social isolation and the need to change it. And the second is where we have presence on the ground uh, is that we actually go into schools, partner, and lead assembly programs and, and bring our high school students to those schools nationally and from where you guys are in South Carolina and in Connecticut we have a robust communications program. So through social media and through our website, through emails, through partnerships with the National Association of School Resource Counselors, through partnerships with other national nonprofits. For a number of years, we were partnering with the Sandy Hook Promise folks. Uh, we, we get a lot of media exposure thanks to you and others so that schools and um, teachers can hear about us in any way we can reach them. Um, and we partner all over as much as we can to leverage what we're offering with anybody's following so that we can get this out to as many teachers as we can. Yes. So we could invite you to bring your team to, um, just hypothetically, to CJ's new school or to a school here in the Hartford area if we wanted to do that. Well, our high school students are um, themselves in school. (laughs) Yeah, so they can't actually go too far. We travel to conferences during the summer months, and we Mm -hmm. do reach out to some of the counties around the San Francisco Bay Area, uh, but that is typically for a one-off assembly program. And then after that, my staff will follow up with the school and um, encourage the teacher and the administration to use our materials. So we want more high school groups to form across the United States so that they can go out and do assembly programs for their middle school, um, you know, their middle school community schools. And that's something that we could love to teach other communities how to create a high school team board. It's the most amazing thing to watch the high school kids stand up in front of an audience of middle schoolers and have the middle schoolers just their mouths are hanging open. They want to be those high school students. They love what they're saying. They relate to what, and then the high school kids have to go back to high school. So uh, we need to create this model all over the country. And for us, like the train the trainer. Outstripped. Exactly. Exactly. Train the trainer model. Exactly. What kind of what kind of specific successes have you seen with the program and with the students who are are participating in the program. Um, can you give the listeners some ideas of what to expect or what, what should happen? Yes, it's a great question. Um, one of the greatest accomplishments that I don't think I've had uh, a moment in my own thinking to mention to you are these three national awareness days that we created. Um, and the middle one, if you will, that happens around Valentine's Day each year is called No One Eats Alone Day. And Mm -hmm. it has grown to this past February, we had over 1,100 schools across the United States in all 50 states participate in No One Eats Alone Day. And what we noticed is that nearly 500,000 students were all attending a school that day where someone had the good sense to bring a free backpack that we shipped to them into their school and let the kids run with uh, this special event party, if you will, that happens at lunch to raise awareness that everyone should feel included, valued, accepted, and respected by their peers. And when you imagine the leverage of having a half a million students across the United States all participating um, in making their school more inclusive, you begin to get the chills and see the power of this. And so we're beginning to see signs that this could easily grow. Um, This year our goal in 2017 is to reach 2,000 middle schools, and that's about a million students. So one is the accomplishment of the growth and the number of news coverage that we get fed to us from local television, newspaper, and radio that covers No One Eats Alone Day in their local communities. The stories are amazing, and I personally flew to New York City in February and attended a public school uh, with the First Lady of New York, and she and I were both tearing up watching the children in her public school um, execute No One Eats Alone. So that's one example is growth. Number two is um, the fact that we have now funded a full year of research by two Stanford University-trained PhDs who followed our program for a year and wrote a very robust report 
and the results are fantastic on terms of how our programs are being implemented and received. The other is the growth of the number of students involved locally. What started out as a small cohort of six high school students, we now have 64 high school students coming onto our teen board this September, and we take them on their own overnight retreat, teach them the skills that they need to be the leaders that we expect them to be when they come back and go out and lead these assembly programs. And then we have schools that are just adding, adding on every year, uh, including we opened up an or- office in Portland. It is not surprising that the number one issue in terms of climate for middle school is uh, bullying and teasing, and this is part of that, but it's something that we consider to be preventable and positive if we can get to the students early enough. So there's no telling you how, how far we can go with this, and we know it's successful because the demand is outstripping our ability to provide resources. Mm-hmm. Does the, um, the the three programs or the three days, is, is the curriculum designed so that they can fill in the gaps for the other, you know, 362 days of the year or, or yes. of the school year? Yes, that's a great question. The We have three month-long curriculum, if you will, that each of them has at least five uh, lesson plans that culminate on one of those three big national awareness days. And they're all designed as a do-it-yourself model. We also have other curriculum and other activities that are available on our website so that if a teacher wanted to keep children busy throughout the entire year, we have at least three months, three national days, videos with teaching lessons that they can use, a guide on how to run your own overnight retreat, a guide on how you can do your own assembly programs in your own school using our videos or other current and popular videos. So I really believe that over the last six years, we've pioneered and innovated enough curriculum uh, that could keep a teacher busy all year, and they could also just cherry pick, uh, as you said earlier, whatever Mm -hmm. it is that they want to do. Can you give us an ex- just an example of an activity for that? I mean, just pick one. Well, one of the earliest ones that I would recommend is actually working with the film that is still in, in use today about Lily, my daughter. Uh, we take that with us on our first assembly program, and we show that to an audience of 5th, 6th, 7th, or 8th graders, and we have um, a guide that goes with that to ask children uh, to raise their hand if they can relate to any of what Lily went through. We also have um, student participation in the audience around, you know, giving us examples of how they can make their school more inclusive. The, the use of video and multimedia, as you know, is just, is just huge, and, and that's a really good thing to do. Um, we also believe that there are art projects and other things that, that small groups can do in a classroom, and that. No One Eats Alone Day, for example, can be done once a month. We know schools that do No One Eats Alone Day every month, and they create a party out of it by having balloons and different ways of um, breaking up cliques so that children are eating with new people each month. And it's then amazing to see that friendships are being formed and lasting as a result of somebody consciously bringing those kinds of activities and lessons to their school. And- is there, um, for example, a a teacher in the middle school program or the high school with with the leader to kind of model these things in the beginning? Because I, I can't see where it's going to be instantaneous where they would suddenly form a fast friendship with someone that has multiple disabilities, let's say. Uh, um, you know, doesn't it have to be modeled by an adult? Adults, there always needs to be an enlightened adult. At this age, we cannot expect the children to be able to take this on and do it themselves. Although I have to say, uh, we've had some remarkable stories of fifth graders who have joined national conference calls that we thought were intended for teachers only and having (laughs) fifth graders ask questions. And then we, we are just blown away. And in fact, one of these fifth graders turned out to be from a school that we could actually drive to. And one of my staff members went to Oscar's school uh, in, in Alameda County. It was 40 minutes from where we are, but we hopped in a car and supported him on No One Eats Alone Day because he 
got on a national phone call intended for teachers and said, you know, I'm planning on bringing Melanie to Lone Day to my school, but I have a problem. Our kindergartners and first graders eat at one time. Our second grade and third graders eat at another. And our fourth and fifth graders eat at yet another. Does that mean I have to do three no and eat the loan days? And we just said, oh, my goodness, Oscar, this is just a fantastic question. And so we said, how about if we come there and help you run no and eat the loan um, at your school so that everybody gets to participate? So, Yes, the answer to your question is, this is a slog. You do not change the culture of middle school or create a revolution overnight, which is why as much awareness as we can raise, we have to do the hard work, the grassroots hard work of creating activists in schools. And our money's on these kids. We know that they can do this, but they need an enlightened adult who will guide and model for them and keep this issue in the forefront so that even if there was every couple of weeks or once a month a lesson or a video or something picked from our array of curriculum, and then they jumped on board with the three national awareness days, and by the way, they practiced something online as well because we have online activities. Uh, We all know what's going on 24-7 with kids and social media. We don't even need to go down that rabbit hole right now, but it's real and it's true and it's part of our curriculum as well. Then I be kind we, online. Exactly. Be kind online. We have a new one coming out next spring called Call It Out Day, where kids are really being asked to stand up for one another and call out that kind of behavior. And partnering with social media companies is important. So it's overwhelming, but if we take it one step at a time, we find the children that want to be leaders in their school and we give them the tools that they need to inspire them and thus inspire their classmates, we can do this. We can do this. We've seen the growth in just six short years, and it is absolutely now part of everyone's vernacular that we're talking about social isolation. And I promise you no one was talking about this a few years ago when Lily passed. No one. And now we are. I'm thrilled about that. I'm thrilled wow. about that. You should be very, very, very proud. This is this is wonderful, and it is a huge undertaking. So I think, within the sound of my voice, everyone that's listening needs to pass this on, so that in their regional area they can also they they can also do do the same. You, you know, um, just just as a sideline, I want to mention we have a. Um, uh, in in this grief diary series that I mentioned to you off offline that that deals with uh, um, different types of grief, there is sort of an adult counterpart to what you were talking. No one eats alone, called uh, set an extra plate. We have a, mm-hmm. a a woman who wrote a book with regard to being a widow and the the loss encountered with that and moving to a new area and not knowing anyone and many people who are single or widow don't have somebody to eat with so there is an adult counterpart to that Laura I just wanted to mention to you maybe I could share that with you at another time but it's it's so cool to me that at both ends of the spectrum there could be similar problems it's absolutely I'm so glad you mentioned that and I would love to hear more about it Um, we we know for a fact that there are adverse medical emotional and academic outcomes if social isolation is not addressed. The fact that we're focused on children does not diminish the fact the same consequences are happening with adults and with seniors. And if we can get to the children early, that's my mission. But I think we should do whatever we can to make sure that people are brought into um, communities and to have a sense of belonging. It is a primal need for us, right below food, water, and air, that we have a sense of human connection, and we know that from decades and decades of study on adults. And I think right now we're seeing the consequence of children who are socially isolated. And Donna, since your passion, as is mine, and one of them is to prevent community violence, I, I really challenge all of our listeners to think about an incident recently where a shooter has not been described as someone who is disconnected and socially isolated Um, That is the case, in fact, with the Sandy Hook shooter. That is the case, in fact, with the Santa Barbara shooter. And I probably can think of five more examples, which I hate to right now, but that is also the case. Let's stop this before it gets to the point where people are drifting away from one another and somebody could have done something when they were in 
kindergarten, first, second, third, fourth, or fifth grade to make that child feel more accepted. Um, now, mental health issues are not going to be solved by having a grassroots movement to end social isolation, but we can get to many, many, many more millions of children than we are today, and there are issues that we could be fixing if we just train other students to be leaders and make campus more inclusive. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Do you do you feel as if there may be a progression here where if you start out with social isolation can lead to depression or um, suicidal ideation and then acting out and then maybe escalating to crime? Is that sort of a, a progression that you've seen or have you heard of stories where because of this program these types of things were halted? Well, I'd love to say that I know because of our program that they have been halted, and I can't tell you that. I can tell you anecdotally that I have plenty of parents and plenty of children who can testify to the fact that our program has really changed the way they see themselves and the way they hold themselves now as leaders in their school. I have a vice principal of a primarily African-American middle school in Oakland, California, who asked if she could bring um, a student of hers to a meeting with a potential funder. And I said, of course, I would love to meet that child. And 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 the teacher told us the story that this child was suffering, terribly suffering, came from a fairly dysfunctional family with a drug addicted parent, guardian, was a bully at school, a very low academic grade point average, and for a number of reasons was really one of the least liked children in school, if you can really even imagine, and came on our overnight retreat, uh, came back from the overnight retreat, sort of changed her perception of the way she sees herself, began to take on responsibility for being a leader at school, uh, asked if she could present to the school's PTA about her her uh, participation in our program, invited her guardian and her mother, who she had not seen in a while, improved her GPA, and is now graduating off to high school and wants to continue on and be part of our high school group. That is a small story played out Mm -hmm. in a community that, you know, we are thrilled uh, to know that our programs can make a difference. But research is telling us, more importantly, that we can stop the trajectory of children that are feeling isolated, self-harming, and then in turn committing community violence. We know that there's that trajectory, and we can all do something about it today. Yeah. Um, Does this include, is there still the the concept of a latchkey kid, and this, this really kind of plays into it as well? Well, I was a latchkey kid when I was younger, and I, I think probably my crime was coming home and watching too much TV in the afternoon. And I think today it probably is social media and what kids are having access to and being unsupervised at home is probably just a lot of time on computers and on PDAs um, and not socializing with one another in real life. And uh, so I, I think the consequence of social media is as good as the upside, which is you begin to feel like you're isolated and everybody else is out there having a good time. We all feel that way sometimes. And on the other hand, um, you know, we also isolate ourselves when we're locked up and spending too many hours in our room by ourselves just working, you know, just working on social media, just playing on social media. So latchkey kids. Yeah, would be my preference, as every parent listening would probably prefer that their kids are participating in sports or community activities like theater or outside playing, shooting hoop yard, whatever. I grew up in New York City. We didn't have much, but we had a playground, and we were outside every single day, and my mom worked all the time, but that was what was expected. Uh, You know, I just feel like the more we can get kids out and about and connecting with one another, everybody wants that for their child. So let's let's do that and let's take away, you know, hours and hours and hours of doing nothing but hanging out on social media where you feel miserable after a while about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I so agree with that. Um, with regard to let's take the hypothetical situation where somebody is changing from grammar school, elementary school to a mental school, um, you know, come this fall or whatever, are there certain certain um, steps you would recommend to to parents or grandparents just to, to try to ease the transition besides 
advocating for getting your programs into the school. How should you prepare that child? Well, that's a great that's a great question. Of course, I was going to say, you know, parents are also the best uh, transmitters of bringing our programs to their schools. Um, so that would be one thing that I would recommend. And, you know, I don't know if you're referring, Donna, to a child with differences. There's always the parent, and I'm sure that I was that parent where I was more than happy to answer questions if anybody was whispering or curious about what Lily looked like. And Lily didn't have um, drastic facial differences, but it was noticeable enough that kids would whisper. So I think having a parent who seems friendly and open and involved um, is a great thing. And I worked full-time, by the way, always, so I was not able to be present all the time at school. So I don't want working moms, who are most of us now, to feel that there's nothing that they or working dads can do. Um, the other thing is to always open their home and help arrange play dates for their children so that I, I always noticed that I was the one that was reaching out to other children and making sure that even if it was a little bit selfish that I wanted kids to come and play with Lily and get to know her for who she was. And I, you know, there were times where I felt a little frustrated that parents weren't reciprocating, but I think it wasn't for lack of liking Lily. It was just that everybody tends to be too busy and to not put the effort out. So I would say putting the effort into making sure that there are play dates and other kinds of social activities set up and that you're willing to take the time to do that is important. Um, and what other things can I recommend? You know, there are things for teachers I consciously do is tell kids at the beginning of the class period, you know, pick a partner and blah, blah, blah. Picking a partner could be the kiss of death for a child who doesn't feel that they know anybody in their class, let alone feel socially isolated. And so I think that there are small things that every adult can do to remember what it feels like um, to be that awkward child that may not feel socially, you know, popular and then to reverse engineer uh, whatever we can do to make sure that those um, that those habits are broken down early. So those are just a couple of things that come to my mind, but they're commonsensical. I'm really not an expert. Yeah, well, it, it is commonsensical, and I know that, you know, with people going on vacations in the summer and whatnot, but you really have to try to prepare um, during during the summer before you get back in, in, in the fall to um, – sort of, you know, facilitate this. And are, are administrators available prior to, the, prior to the official start of school so you could uh, kind of get this going or talk to guidance counselors and things about your programs? Absolutely. I think that um, for the most part we try to respect the break that teachers and schools need, you know, usually around at least six weeks of the summer between the middle of June and the end of July. But I would say that for the most part, and again, this is my observation, is that by the beginning of August, um, teachers and schools are starting to drift back. Um, and certainly, you know, school starts earlier and earlier. And so for some schools, it's even the second and third week in August. Um, so we're definitely um, speaking with teachers and counselors and superintendents of school districts early and over the summer. Uh, this summer, I think I'll be visiting with someone who might be, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the president of the middle school uh, principals association for the tri-state area where you are, Donna, for New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. Oh, really? And, uh-huh. Yeah, I'm really hoping. Um, and her, she is at her own public school who did No One Eats Alone Day and had such a fantastic experience with it that she's invited us to come back multiple times, and I wish I could do nothing but jump on a plane and come to New York. Uh, but I now know that she's the principal um, chair of all the principals in the area. So what better leverage is that than to get her excited and then to have her carry the message to her peer group? So, yeah, we're going to do that over the summer. I think Dallas, Texas is interested in bringing us through their superintendent's office, which has about 32 middle schools, maybe 42 middle schools in their community. So all this can be done over the summer. Speaking to conference can be done. So we work 24-7. Wow. Well, even if we, if um, people are listening in, in the different regions of the country, if, if someone could, could take this information and at least, you know, spread spread the word what yeah what what would be 
what an average person or average parent can do? Um, would it be d- disseminating your information from the website or what's the Absolutely. most effective way? And, and reach out to me. I mean, our beyond differences at gmail.com, I read all the emails. We're not that big that I'm not personally involved in. I would be more than thrilled to speak with anybody by email or by phone and coach them on how to bring our materials um, to their community and to how to teach them how to advocate to the superintendent in order to bring this to their many middle schools, if not the one that their child or grandchild happens to be in. Um, and really, if they Google No One Eats Alone or Beyond Differences, uh, we have a national spokesperson working with us now, a former NFL player by the name of Jonathan Martin, who was I highly heard publicized. Him. Yeah, this was a terrible, terrible story. Uh, Jonathan went through um, a lot of humiliation as a member of the Miami Dolphins about three years ago, and he was socially isolated and humiliated and teased and bullied by primarily one, but probably a couple of other teammates. And Jonathan now travels with me and presents at assembly programs to students. And the thrill on their faces when they see this larger-than-life former football player come into their auditorium or their cafeteria, it's fantastic. So we have so many resources and press coverage that there's no there's nobody who shouldn't know that this is something that they can easily bring to their community, and it doesn't have to be beyond differences. It could be any conversation that talks about making sure that every day when your children leave the house, you ask them, who did you include today? Who did you invite to sit with you? Who did you ride on the bus with? You know, were your friends not just tolerant of that child, but actually nice to them and made a conversation with them and made them feel that they were embraced a little bit more than the day before? I believe we can do that, and that does not take beyond differences. It just takes, you know, being more than just kind more than just sympathetic, it really says if somebody had gotten to know you, how would that have made you feel? It could change your life. Yeah, I, you know, this is this is very powerful stuff, and it, you'd be amazed at just what one gesture can mean for for somebody who is who is vulnerable. And you know, I've I've known that personally. How do you get your funding with regard to doing what you do? Uh, if it's a nonprofit, and do you take donations? Yes, thank you for asking. And it's hard. We are uh, we are growing, and we um, raise all of our money mostly philanthropically. We get no government support, and we don't charge for any of our materials. So that leaves one possibility, and that's a lot of fundraising. We have supportive individuals uh, from across the United States and a lot in the Bay Area. We have companies uh, that have been giving us support for programs, um, and we have been honored by a number of other institutions that sometimes come with prizes or cash awards. Um, Our local San Francisco Giants um, honored us and gave us a $10,000 grant, AT&T, Um, works with us every year on one of our programs. We have funders from across the United States, and we're starting to get more well-known. So I think one of the ironies is you have to be successful in order to get money, and in order to get successful, you have to work really hard at how to get money so you can stay alive and prove what you're doing. So not easy, but love contributions, love, love, love. Okay, so people who are listening can also contribute. And have you been embraced by the disability community um, with regard to any other organizations? Are they helping you? Yes, we. Um, there's a local. Um, it, there's actually a number of disability rights organizations, including parent support groups um, that are run regionally across the United States, um, and we partner with them and make sure that we always have representatives from the special needs community on our panels when we do um, adult presentations and things of that sort. So we're very conscious of, you know, from severe to mild um, to make sure that we're as inclusive as possible in our programming and planning. And and that's one other thing, Don, I want to mention. I care deeply about kids with special needs because that's, in fact, what my daughter was. I also know that there are children who are feeling socially isolated who don't look like they do either. 
And that could be just as painful and hurtful because those are the ones that surprise you. And I think we all think we know what social isolation looks like, but in fact, I don't think that we really do. You could be sitting in a group of friends looking like you're having a good time and feeling to yourself that nobody understands you and it really wouldn't matter if you drifted away. Nobody would notice. And kids tell us that all the time. They also don't know sometimes what their, kid, what their friends are all laughing about. And nobody takes the time to kind of explain it to them. They might have missed out on a joke or something. So I know how do you get to those trivial. kids that are under the radar, so to speak? Well, they're self-selecting and they're coming out and they're talking to us about it. We have a lot of those beautiful-looking children on our high school teen board. And then they're going back and spreading the message to their classmates that they're involved with Beyond Differences because of those reasons. And so the more, the more that we get a variety of children from those with identify, identifiable special needs to those that don't have any, uh, the more people will, kids will be able to relate to everybody that they see in, in one form or another. So that's why it's important that we don't see this as just creating a new class of victims and feeling sorry for children who have differences. But in fact, we appeal to everyone to make them leaders and make them feel like they're the ones in charge. That's our hope is to make this a leadership program as opposed to isolating and, and making somebody, you know, feel like more of a victim than they already are. Yeah. And many of these, uh, it sounds like from your narrative that um, many of those who have been isolated, would go on and, and become leaders themselves and be inspired. And isn't that a situation where it comes full circle? Isn't that fabulous? The answer is yes and hallelujah. Because we tell kids leadership comes in all forms. You don't have to be loud and self-confident to look like and be a leader. You can make quiet, small changes every day and feel fabulous about yourself. Like the girl I told you about from Oakland, you know, she really, really had issues going on, and she came on our overnight retreat, and something shifted for her. We took the time to sort of figure out, you know, how she how she wanted to be relating to others in a way that nobody ever sort of put her in that in that in that possible environment before. And some kids don't go to camps; they've never really been, uh, you know, mixing with other children other than who they're exposed to. And so just just having three days where kids are sort of hanging out with each other in structured environment, you know, can change someone who doesn't see themselves as a leader or a winner and, and turn them around completely. So I'll, yeah, I think all it takes fair. is that inspiring experience, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well let me tell you if I can if I can help you as a consultant and as an older now uh, disabled adult who has gone through some of these things, um, keep me in mind. You know. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> oh my um, gosh, Delilah, do you have some things you'd like to add as before we go off the air? Well I think Laura and everyone at the different is coming up, up with Absolutely wonderful program. It's just yes. been a joy to hear about all the successful things that have happened and all the accomplishments that you've done in such a short period of time, really. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you it's so, so much. It's so inspiring. Oh, thank you. I think the need is there, <laughs> honest to goodness. I don't think it's about us. I think it's the fact that kids are just really hungry for this. But thank you. We need everybody. I need you guys. I need all the help we can get. Okay, well, we will we will be sure to uh, to pass on your information and the website, and please do keep in, in touch with me by phone to an email, and if I can do something specific, I will. But for, for now, we want to say it's been a very rewarding hour, and thank you so much for everything that you do on behalf of all kids, disabled or not, and, and uh, adults of the future, because that's who we're doing. We're shaping lives here. So with with that, um, we will close out this hour. Thank you so much, Laura. Thank you for being part of our Shattered Lives family. And we'll, we'll say uh, good day for now and welcome to another um, episode next Saturday. Okay, Laura, we'll talk to you later. I'll be up.